Digital Marketing Radio, episode 91, Audio Recording Equipment. DigitalMarketingRadio.com I'm David Bain and this is Digital Marketing Radio, weekly interviews with digital marketing experts. Find out about everything we do at DigitalMarketingRadio.com The Big Interview with David Bain So today I'm joined by Colin Gray. Colin, welcome to DMR. Thanks very much for having me. Excellent. Okay, well, Colin uh, is a podcast and online educator. Um, he's been teaching podcasting skills for over six years now, and you can find him over at thepodcasthost.com. So, Colin, you're a highly experienced audio professional. So what piece of equipment would you say you have personally that probably has the biggest impact on the quality of audio that you can actually produce? I think... The, the bit of equipment I always tell people to think about first is the microphone. Uh, it seems a bit obvious, but it's true. It's the, it's the bit that picks up your voice. It's the bit that actually translates your, you know, your uh, digital, no, sorry, your analog waves that are vibrating through the air into something digital so it captures it into the computer. So that's the that's the, the place to start, I think, when you're trying to increase your audio quality. Um, and these days I'm speaking on uh, an MXL 990, uh, which is a great little condenser mic. Um, and actually... There's a lot of people talk about, um, there's sort of lots of debate over what the best microphones are. Um, and the MXL is not actually mentioned very often, but I'm surprised because it's really good value. It's only, it's under £100 in the UK um, and it's excellent quality. It's really, it's one of my favourite things. Um, it's definitely the thing that sort of stepped up my quality when I, uh, when I first got that. It certainly sounds great. And um, of course, um, we're recording this um, both on video, um, so to be seen on YouTube, um, but also audio as well and um, it'll be quite interesting actually if um, people play this on YouTube but also listen to it on audio on digitalmarketingradio.com because Mm -hmm. what we're hopefully going to do here is record um, what we call a double ender. Um, So do you want to explain what um, what a double ender is? Yeah, sure. It's uh, well, it's basically the the way we combat uh, terrible, awful, flaky Skype connections, uh, where often you you listen to an interview and uh, you get the the host is fine because he's recording on his own system, but obviously you're getting a terrible connection from the other side, uh, so it can be really flaky and kind of drop out and stuff. So what we do is just get the other person to record their side as well, and then we bring the two files together, um, sync them up, and then suddenly it sounds like both are in the same studio. Excellent. Um, I'll have to prepare that kind of description myself as well. That was very succinct and (laughs) (laughs) very good. Um, I tell you what, I I was um, in Australia last year and um, I was doing a bit of recording, but I was using a condenser microphone. And um, unfortunately, I not really unfortunately, but I I lived quite near the harbour in the centre and um, the train went over a bridge just outside um, the apartment that I lived in. And I found that with a condenser microphone, although it produced a decent quality sound, I just struggled to get that background noise um, out of the final recording. Um, Is that not a potential issue with uh, condenser microphones? It is, yeah, absolutely. Um, So yeah, it's often one of the biggest questions you get. Once people figure out a little bit more about mics then that's the next question that comes it's more past which mic do I buy it's suddenly do I get a dynamic or do I get a condenser um, and really it comes down to what your recording environment's like so if you're in a really noisy environment like, like you've got trains going by or even if you're just in a flat that's near the street uh, and you have lorries or cars or even if you're in a house which actually has you know a fridge in the next room or uh, your computer's particularly loud um, a condenser mic essentially is 
super sensitive. It uh, picks up a huge frequency range um, of sounds. Uh, it's the reason it does sound so good is because it um, it does pick up such a big range of that 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 audio in the room. Um, but obviously, if you've got a noisy room, it's picking up all of that as well. <laughs> so often, actually, I would recommend people or when I talk to people about setting up their first uh, little studio, um, they're just doing it in their bedroom. They're doing it in a noisy place, and therefore a dynamic mic is generally the best option because it still gives you a really good sound. Um, you have to have your mic technique a little bit better, so you maybe have to get a bit closer to the mic. Um, that helps your bass a little bit, that kind of stuff. But the dynamic will cut down the background noise. It's generally a bit more directional. Um, so yes, generally, if you're in a, a non-professional recording studio, the dynamic mic's the best option. But if you have a really nicely um, set up quiet room, then the condenser is going to give you a better sound. Right. Okay. So I'm I'm working from a home office here, and I I thought the dynamic uh, microphone was was the direction that I'd want to go in. Um. So I decided to go for the RE20, which is obviously a staple horse of um, radio in the United States, uh, but mm-hmm. it's not really so common in the UK. Um. And I think one of my concerns was that I didn't want too much of a radio type voice. Yeah. You know, a, a deep booming, um, more of a popular style, I suppose, in the United States, um, voice for radio. Um, And I was hoping that this kind of microphone um, would be, as as long as if I didn't put it through too much compression or add too much bass to it, um, a a decent quality. Would you say that's um, a valid concern for me to have actually had? Yeah, I think... A lot of people worry about how they sound, obviously. It's it's always the first concern. People worry about their voice being rubbish or, you know, nobody likes the sound of their own voice, essentially. Um, so people think about that first. And the, the type of mic you buy does have a big effect. People, that, that's the thing that always frustrates me, actually, about people arguing about the best mic. This is the best mic. That's the best mic. Really, it comes down to there's no best mic for everyone. It actually depends on what you sound like. And really the best thing you can do is once you're moving up to the kind of the higher levels of kit, you want to be able to go out and head to a music shop and actually try out a bunch of microphones. Get yourself recording on five or six different mics in a music shop and um, hear what they sound like because there will be one that will suit your voice the best and it won't be the one that suits the next guy in the shop's voice the best. It'll be it'll be something completely different. So, um, for example, a lot of people really rave about the um, the Heil, um, mm. the Heil PR40. That's one of the kind of gold standards of podcasting just because there were there were sort of two or three or four prominent guys in the US who use it, promote it, and it sounds great for their voice. But actually, there's a lot of other people it doesn't sound so good for. So you really need to get out there and try them out. Um, and and when you come to that radio voice effect, you, you're quite right to be kind of worried about that, I think, because it's kind of, I don't know, the radio, radio and podcasting are a very different thing. Radio, it's quite obvious that the, project, the presenter is broadcasting to millions of people. They kind of that's transparent. The, the the presenter talks about that. He talks about speaking to his audience. But you as a podcaster, one of the powers of podcasting is that you're speaking in a much more intimate way to your audience. You're speaking to the person um, that's listening and you speak much more individually to them. So I think it's much more advantageous to have that kind of realistic effect or you're just much more real you're much more natural um so adding tons of compression tons of eq that basically tons of effects to your voice to make you sound really radio like it just sounds really artificial and i think it ruins a little bit of that kind of that personal touch that you can have with your audience so where do you actually go after your microphone then do you um go into a mixer or is there perhaps some kind of um um 
additional gain that you try and put into the microphone before going to a mixer or do you actually just go directly into a PC? Depends what I'm doing actually. Um, in the most simple form, I, st- I still record in a lot of different ways. In the most simple form, I actually still record in my headset sometimes. So that's just a USB headset straight into the computer. That's just the way to get it done. It's, it doesn't sound as good as the other setup, but you know what? It sounds fine if you've got a decent enough headset. So um, I do that sometimes still. Uh, right now, I'm speaking into my sort of full mixer setup. So I've got the MXL into uh, my Behringer mixer. Uh, and then that goes out with the mixer into my digital recorder, which is a, a Zoom H4n. Um, so that's the kind of that's the full setup. But sometimes uh, I will actually just put the mic straight into the recorder as well, because generally, if you're <laughs> if you don't need a piece of audio equipment in your chain in the audio chain, you shouldn't have it there, because the more stuff you have in there, the more um, potential problems you're going to have, or the more interference that can come in. Uh, that's the thing that drives people in audio crazy. Sometimes you get this little buzz or this little hiss, or you know, there's a little, there's a little sound there that you just don't want there, and that is much more likely to happen the more things you have in your audio chain. So if I want a really perfect, the best quality I can get, I'll actually plug my MXL condenser straight into my H4N recorder, and then that means I've got the minimum possible components there that can go wrong, uh, and I'll just have the, the mic straight into the recorder. So yeah, there's a few different ways to do it, I think. I know, and um, every setup, really, um, certainly if you get a little bit of technical um, understanding yourself, um, tends to be a little bit different. Um, you end up testing things and um, turning certain buttons up and other buttons down, and then you hear a hiss in the background, and you're wondering where yeah. that's coming from. <laughs> it's, it's hard to define that sometimes. Um, I'm also using a, a cloud lifter, which is a, an extra little device that I have in between my, uh, my microphone and the mixer. Um, because yeah. it's a microphone that... Um, doesn't produce that much volume wise um, going directly mm-hmm. into a mixer um, sometimes you have to lift the levels before being able to do anything with it really so I think I think that was um, a, a device that I certainly found made it easier to retain the quality um, without pumping up the the gain r- right to the top um, possible level on the on the mixer yeah, indeed. I, yeah, they're quite common actually with um, dynamic mics. Is it dynamic mic you're using yourself? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, I. Just because dynamic mics don't tend to have quite as much gain, as you say, or power, I suppose, as a as a condenser, because um, they're not powered essentially. Uh, so yeah, Cloudless is a really nice little device actually, and I have to use one if I'm recording straight from my my dynamic, which is a, an SM58. I use a Sure SM58 sure. if I'm recording straight into my uh, digital recorder when I'm out and about. So if I'm going to a conference or something like that, um, I can get away with it if I try. But yeah, it sounds a lot better if I put my SM58 through a, a Cloudlifter type device and then into the recorder. So yeah, a really handy little thing. Okay, and um, one uh, little setup or part part of the setup that I found particularly challenging to begin with um, was the fact that um, because I'm recording for YouTube and also recording the audio here as well, I've ended up um, using two external uh, sound cards. Um, so one for the audio coming from your computer, the computer, so basically um, re- recording yourself through that, um, and one for the audio that I'm sending um, uh, to, to the computer to YouTube. Um, so um, it's possibly not the only setup. Well, obviously, it isn't the only setup. There's so many, so many different options there. Do you have an external sound card yourself, or do you just actually rely on the sound card inside your own computer? 
Yeah, I just use the one actually. Um, I have yeah, I've read of people doing exactly what you're doing. I think it's a it's a good solution for some context, but. I tend to just use a mix minus setup on my mixer. So I've got one sound card um, and uh, all my audio goes into the mixer, including the Skype um, input. So that's the people that I'm interviewing. And then out of the mixer, uh, I get just, just my side of the audio, including any effects and stuff like that. And that's back into the same sound card as the input. Uh, so it means I can get away with just having the one sound card. But uh, but yeah, I mean, there's, like you say, there's tons of different ways of doing things. And... Um if you're out and about, uh, you mentioned you've got the H4n. You have got the H5, sure. very similar kind of devices. Yeah. Um, would you just take that device and just use that to actually record someone um, when you're in a cafe or something like that, or or would you actually plug a microphone into it and never just rely on the onboard microphone? I've used the H5 uh, and the H4 are both. They both have really good internal mics, so you can get away with it. And if you've got a situation where you're trying to record, say, uh, three or four people. So if you've got a group of people all sitting around a table and they're reasonably close together, then, yeah, you can get away with just putting the um, the H4 uh, in in the middle of the table and just turn it on, using, putting it onto the wide, um, the wide angle sort of capture. Mm. Um, but if I have the chance, I always take a mic with me. Uh, so I'll quite often um, take my SM58 and another general microphone like that. So I'll have me holding one uh, and give one to, well, actually, <laughs> I was about to say give one to the other person, but actually more often than not, you end up holding both because uh, other people don't tend to be able to, or remember to hold it close enough to their <laughs> mouth. Um, so you end up holding both microphones and then suddenly stuffing your recorder into your pocket or something like that so you can manage it. Um but so either I'll do that or actually I'll take a couple of lapel mics um, and uh, that's a lapel, sorry, a lapel mic's just uh, a type of mic that clips onto your shirt. It's the type of little thing that you'll often see um, maybe people being interviewed on the telly or that type of thing. Uh, and they're really handy because people just forget they're there because you can find that interviewers, especially when you're out and about and you just grab people unprepared, they can get a bit in, uh, intimidated when you shove a mic in their face mm. um, and they just kind of clam up a little bit. So having a little lapel mic or a lavalier mic, they're called sometimes, uh, that you can just clip to their shirt and then you can hide the recorder away almost and you can just have a conversation just naturally, just chatting between yourselves. Uh, and that's a really handy way to do it when you're out and about. And do you find generally that um, you have much necessity to actually do a lot of uh, editing um, post-production um, after you've actually made the recording? Um, do you do things like taking out background noise, perhaps trying to improve the actual quality of the voice? Or is it more important just to focus on the quality of the recording to begin with and just refrain from doing that um, post-production um, editing? Yeah, I mean, you always want to try and get the best quality possible um, up front because it's generally, it is possible to process audio afterwards and it is possible to make bad audio sound a bit better, but it's never really possible to make bad audio sound good. Um, whereas with just about planning, with just about thought, you can always get good audio in any context. I mean, even if you're in a really loud, well, possibly not really loud then, that's possibly exaggerating, but even if you're in quite a busy space, a conference hall or something like that, it actually just adds a bit of atmosphere. As long as you have um, thought about a way to get the microphones close enough to yourself and the interviewee's mouths so that you are definitely creating a bit of space in terms of volume between your own voice and the background noise, background noise can actually create some really good atmosphere, some really good texture to a recording. Um, so yeah put a bit of thought into it and you can get some great audio and not worry too much about trying to remove that type of stuff 
That's um, an interesting comment that um, uh, that it is possibly sometimes more natural to have that little bit of background noise instead of just having or trying to get absolute silence. Yeah, it creates a really good um, bit of variety in your podcast, actually. If you're recording yourself as an intro, so you're just talking by yourself with silence in the background, obviously, uh, and then you segue to something else, it creates that nice little... Um, I don't know, transition to somewhere different. You can, like the listeners taken with you, you're, they're taken to this outside place, a different, a different atmosphere, a different um, area in recording. And it just, it, it's quite a nice way to add variety to any podcast, I think, if you have that type of thing. In fact, uh, on many radio shows and documentaries, they'll record um, an interview, they'll record a segment whereby somebody's in a studio and they're saying something or they're talking to somebody else and then they'll actually add that recording, that background noise afterwards. Uh, they call it actuality um, because it, it makes it sound like, you know, it's more um, well, I don't know, if, more actual <laughs> more real because there's stuff in the background so they add that in afterwards um, to add that atmosphere. It's quite incredible actually the way that podcasts are going at the moment because Going back about maybe just three or four years ago, um, it was just generally someone with a, a small headset on. And um, over the last um, couple of years, people have become more professional with the types of um, recording equipment they use. But just over the last year or so, um, possibly led by the States a little bit more, you've got series like uh, Serial and Startup um, really making hyper-professional productions with all those segments you're talking about in them. And also different um, series um, of episodes as well, instead of actually just doing episode one, two, <laughs> right the way up mm. to several hundred, um, you've got yes. um, series stopping after a while. And, and you've done that a little bit with um, with Podcraft, of course. Indeed, yeah. Yeah, I, I prefer that the series approach just because it... it it's got so many advantages in that you can have a themed series so you can talk about the same type the same theme over four or five episodes it guides your listeners through it so much more uh, effectively because you're not just chopping and changing every single episode it's something different um you can package it up afterwards so it can have a series on podcast equipment and then you can just go and get those four or five episodes and you know exactly where they are plus it gives you a chance to have a break <laughs> so you're not like 52 52 weeks of the year you're releasing a po- uh, releasing a podcast episode you can say okay that's series two finished i'm going to have a month break and then i'm going to be back with series three and it lets your audience know that that's happening and there's a, a sort of clear break that gives you that chance to you know have a bit of downtime and maybe plan for the next one so you're not just rushing to keep up the whole time absolutely I, 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 there's lots of other topics that we could talk about in relation to, to uh, <laughs> podcasting but um it would be great to have also your opinion on how that relates to digital marketing in general so um yeah, sure. let's segue over to the um second section for discussions that focuses more on your thoughts on how digital marketing in general has evolved so starting off with software i couldn't live without so what software do you currently use in your business that if someone took away from you it would significantly impact your marketing success <laughs> well i'll i'll start with the uh, the obvious one which is my uh, my audio editing package uh, which is Audacity. Mm. Uh, so Audacity is just uh, a package that helps you cut together your podcast, take out the bad bits, process it to make it sound a bit better. So if somebody removed Audacity from my computer, I'd be uh, a little bit stuck. I <laughs> know. Um, I also use Audition as well, which is the more um, professional version. But actually, Audacity just does absolutely fine most of the time, and it's completely free. That's interesting. Um, you say that because um, I, I use Audacity myself as well, and you hear so many people say, "Yes, uh, Audition is where it's at." But um, I'm glad to hear you say that um, Audacity is fine. <laughs> 
No, absolutely. I I always recommend people um, just start with Audacity and play around with that. And the the sort of advantage of moving up to Audition is that it it helps your workflow essentially. It doesn't have for the average podcaster, there's not really many tools in there that um, Audacity doesn't have at all. It just makes it quicker and easier. Uh, it makes your whole production process a little bit more efficient, I suppose. Okay. Um, slightly more challenging question. What um, piece of software are you not using at the moment, but um, you've heard good things about and you, tr- you intend to try at some point in the near future? I think... Um, do you know what? I am a bit of a... I, I'm always trying to be a bit more organised because I'm not the best at planning tasks and stuff like that. So task management is someone I've played around with for ages, trying to figure out how to manage my tasks. And especially now I'm working with um, some assistants a little bit more as well. So I'm contracting out a little bit more work. So I need to manage projects. Um, so I've played with a bunch of different tools. And um, the re- most recent one I've come across, which I really want to try out, it looks absolutely brilliant and I hear great things about it, um, is All Things which is a, a task management system. Um, it's kind of, it's aimed at uh, software development teams, I think, primarily, but actually it's been used by tons of people. Um, I'm kind of talking about it because I, I heard about it through a group that I'm a part of, uh, and there's a few guys in there just swear by it. Um, so that's one I'm going to check out, and it's just going to, hopefully it'll help me streamline my, uh, my task management and get everything organised a bit more effectively. Okay, great. Well, I'll include um, links to Audacity and um, all things on the um, show notes on digitalmarketingradio.com. But moving on to... I wish I would have. Um, so I'd like you to look back on the very first day that you're involved in trying to market a business online. What didn't you do so well? What do you wish that you would have done differently? I think the biggest mistake I made at the start um, was... Assuming that because it was digital marketing, because it was online marketing, that I could do it all digitally and all online and all by email, for example, without any kind of personal touch. The thing I wish I had done more of was get out there and talk to people, (laughs) do do the personal (laughs) thing and actually get along to networking meetings, get out there and get on the phone and talk talk to people and just actually meet folk personally, even like this. I mean, this is digitally, obviously, but we're having more a personal conversation where actually you can hear each other, you get a bit of personality, that type of thing. I think you just... I, certainly I got lost in the trying to build relationships by email, by Twitter, by Facebook, that kind of thing. Forgetting the fact that it probably takes 100 tweets to gain the same kind of um, uh, relationship as just one phone call, for example. Mm. Uh, and I'm, I'm getting so much more um, from my network uh, and I'm giving so much more to my network as well just nowadays because I'm actually going to conferences, I'm going to networking meetings and I'm meeting people and finding out more about what they do and how I can help. That's a great piece of advice. I think um, when you initially get into online marketing, you view it as something entirely different um, and um, perhaps an opportunity that um, doesn't relate to anything in the real offline world, but of course it does. And um, I, I think it's become generally slightly better. I think the quality of the content that's produced and um, the relationships that are necessary in order, order to build your own business are, are, are probably more important now than they used to be. But obviously it could get even better and hopefully it will do in the future. Yeah, I think it's just become a lot more professional these days, hasn't it? It's become mm. more of a, a career as opposed to this strange job that people didn't really understand. So so perhaps proper <laughs> marketers... parents still don't understand or, what I do. <laughs> no, well, that's true, me neither. <laughs> but I suppose perhaps uh, maybe real... 
<laughs> real mar- well, that's not the right thing to say, not real marketers. Uh, traditional marketers, I should say, uh, have come into the industry and maybe kind of shaken it up slightly. Or yes. I'm not sure, but yeah, definitely it's become more more legitimate and more, yeah, getting out, maybe bringing in more of the old traditional methods because you realise that just because they're not digital doesn't mean they don't work. Exactly. Um, I think bringing in the old methods than perhaps bringing in the old marketers. <laughs> because um, a, a lot of the old marketers are... Um, you know, perhaps have um, predefined notions of um, certain offline tactics that um, sh- they should be focusing on and um, they perhaps aren't willing to learn how to actually integrate dig- digital technology um, with great marketing methods that have worked in the past. And I think you, you've got to marry them together and be willing to learn uh, from a new as well to a certain degree. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, great. Well, moving on to... The This or That Round. So this is the quick response round. Uh, Ten quick questions here and just two rules. Try not to think about the answer too much. And uh, you're only allowed to say the word both on one occasion. Ready to go? (laughs) Okay, go for it. Email or Twitter? Email. Audio or video? Audio, of course. (laughs) Affiliates or display advertising? Affiliates. Facebook or Google Plus? I hate Facebook, so Google Plus, just by default. Online press releases or one-on-one relations? Um, Given my last answer, I suppose I have to say one-on-one relations. (laughs) Paid search or SEO? SEO, I'd say, for the long term. Okay, email contact form or telephone number? Telephone number. Website or app? Website, easy. Social subscriber or email subscriber? Email subscriber, much more valuable. And local marketing or global marketing? Both. That'll be my both. (laughs) (laughs) So this Facebook hatred, (laughs) did that suddenly happen or was that always there? (laughs) I think that uh, that gradually crept up on me, and I, I still use it for it. Do you know what I, I say that? But it's um, it's really valuable in some ways. As in, I uh, I am a part of two or three communities on Facebook that I get a lot out of. Um, for example, the UK podcasters community, a brilliant community, learn so much from that. Um, as well as um, Chris Mars Content Marketing Academy, which is uh, a kind of local one. He's a, a marketer over in Fife that I know well. Yes, and his podcast going very well. Yes, indeed, indeed, definitely. Um, so I get a lot out of it professionally, but just personally, it just, oh, I, yeah, I've basically withdrawn from it entirely personally. And part, partly the hatred comes from the fact that uh, my wife never talks to me. She's just always on Facebook instead. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, have similar feelings actually I, f- I feel like i'm in some kind of therapy group here <laughs> um because um i think it's also because obviously uh, facebook encouraged businesses to have their own pages and then over the last year or so it's actually significantly reduced the amount of um organic footprint that those pages can actually get and you have to really pay to actually drive traffic um to people who have already liked you on facebook so that hasn't helped yeah, I think the impression I get, I, I'm not expert on it, but the impression I get is it's just become, well, yeah, you kind of put so much effort into it over the last year, two years, three years, and now it's basically dropped off entirely. The $10,000 question. So if I was to give you $10,000 and you had to spend it over the next few days on a single thing to grow your business, what would you spend it on and how would you measure success? 
the single thing that I would spend it on is actually a single person and that would be a content creator um i think if genuinely if you gave me that money right now what i would do is go out and basically give it to find somebody who um was a great writer uh and could basically put themselves forward on audio or video and i would get them to just create me content great content for the next six months because i think that i, I can't think of anything else that i would that would bring more value just for buying it as such i mean i could i could talk about podcasting equipment till the cows come home i could spend 10 grand on podcasting kit no worries but it wouldn't bring half as much value as ten thousand dollars worth of written content uh, audio content video content um so that's what i would i would buy a staff member for six months to uh, to create me a whole bunch of great stuff I guess the biggest challenge with that is um, being able to define its true value and actually measure its impact. Because, of course, um, you could spend quite easily $10,000 on on pay-per-click advertising and be much more likely to measure the true value of each click in terms of any goals that you'd set up. But, of course, content, um, you put content out there and it may benefit you immediately. It may take months to perhaps get different rankings and... um, or get word of mouth about your brand out there. So it's it's much more challenging to measure the impact of that. Do you have any thoughts on that at all? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It's it's definitely a long game, isn't it? You're you invest mm. time into writing articles, you invest like four hours into writing a two thousand word article that you pour your heart and soul into and then you put it out there and then you get basically silence back. But then <laughs> That's happened to me so many times. Uh, and then a month later, suddenly a trickle of comments start coming in on that article. And then two months later, um, you get tons of feedback and suddenly it's shared on Twitter, that type of stuff. So it's hard to measure it directly and certainly immediately. But I think that's where that's where certainly the success of my uh, site, The Podcast Host, has come from. So The Podcast Host has a load of articles on how to podcast, teaching people how to podcast, uh, equipment, that kind of stuff. And that was really, I mean, that started out as a hobby f- five or six years ago when I was just helping to teach podcasting at university. But over the years, two years later, suddenly quite a lot of those articles were ranking for pretty competitive podcasting terms. And nowadays, my business is built on the traffic that those articles bring in five, six years down the road. Um, and I realise that's not exactly um, probably inspiring to people who want to build themselves a business quickly, but you can do it quicker. That's just a kind of example of not even trying, I suppose. Um, so yeah, I suppose, sorry, that probably doesn't answer your question around measuring uh, the effectiveness of it, but I think a lot of content marketing is partially built on the faith that creating great content is going to bring that visit, those visitors and that traffic and that engagement uh, over the longer term. It's tough. You know, when it, we're all struggling with the answer to that. We know in our guts that it's valuable um, for the long term, but um, defining a value to that, uh, I don't suppose will ever be really possible. But um, if if businesses want to be very focused on last click and measuring everything, then they won't really be taking full advantage of um the most effective modern digital marketing method so um it's all advantage to people like us i guess indeed <laughs> i think i suppose it depends if it's part of your funnel i i try to treat content marketing as the start of my funnel so people come in they find an article they read it they get some value and at the end of the article i try and convince them to sign up to my email list um which is then hopefully going to let me give them much more valuable content uh, persuade them to listen to my podcast that type of stuff so 
I can generally source, if, if that is, assuming that's the case, if they start off in an article, I can generally source where they came from on my um, on my email list from what, what uh, article they came from because you can sort of fire that into MailChimp. Um, it can say what the source form was or, you know, a, a keyword on that source form. So there are ways, I think, to track where people come from with content marketing, but it's certainly trickier and it's not cut and dry because they might have visited somewhere else first and then found you in an article and then direct typed in your URL, that type of stuff. So, yeah, tricky. Mm-hmm. Well, Colin, you've offered a, a lot of great advice in our conversation, so thanks for that. But what would you say is the, the number one takeaway? What's the, the single most important step that our listeners and, and viewers need to take away and implement in their own businesses? Start a podcast. <laughs> and um it, think, needs, it needs to be i mean you, you said audio rather than video um have, have, are you ex- going to experiment with video a little bit more do you think or do you think audio is is the most effective medium for you in the foreseeable future i it's a funny question actually because I, I said flippantly audio just because i am a podcasting guy so i have to say audio really when you ask me audio or video but actually i do a lot of video as well um i've got a pretty um full up YouTube channel with uh, quite a lot of tutorials around podcasting, uh, quite a lot around software. So using Audacity, for example, I do quite a lot of videos around that. And also uh, a lot of my training courses that I run on the podcast host and uh, elsewhere, I'll do videos for them just because audio is great for getting your personality across. Uh, And I think the big advantage of audio is that it can be consumed anywhere. And you get so much attention on audio because people can be doing something else. So they can be um, they can be cooking but listening to you at the same time. So they'll actually listen to you for an hour or more. Whereas with a video, they're stuck at a computer, they're watching you. So you, you've only got them for, say, five to ten minutes unless you've got some great stuff. So I think that while that's the advantage of audio, you can get across even more information via video and you can engage even more possibly by, you know, um, body language and gestures and all that kind of stuff. So there's definitely a place for both and I certainly use both. So even though I said audio, uh, I still think that in, in some contexts, video wins out and, and I do use it in those contexts. <laughs> That's great. No, I'm, I'm glad you say that uh, because when I, I like to use both as well. I mean, when I'm sitting at a desk and, and working on something and perhaps wanting a little bit of audio while I'm doing that, I'll maybe put on a, a, a podcast um, like Podcasters Roundtable or mm-hmm. maybe actually um, listen to an interview like Mixergy. So they, these, those are video-based interviews and a lot of similar content that you can get on a, on a podcast. But some, sometimes I actually like looking at the video and seeing someone's reaction to a question and just a little bit of body, body language that sometimes tell you, tells you a little bit more. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like I say, you can engage slightly more with them just because of that. It adds the body language element. Um, you're just possibly losing a little bit of flexibility in how people consume your material, I guess. That's the that's the only uh, downside, I would say. Oh, OK, great. Yeah, well, I really hope that we can get um, a little bit of response in terms of um, listeners and watch- watchers and um, what version they prefer the, the, the most, because um, uh, with, with your audio, it, there's been just a little challenge with a video, just with you breaking out, but, but not enough to um, kind of stop you because um, you, you're delivering a lot of good content and you could obviously tell what you were saying. Um, but with the audio version, we'll make sure that we have the, the, the great quality audio. So it'll be interesting to see if people prefer watching us and, and seeing our reactions or actually listening to the slightly better quality. So that could be interesting. Indeed. Great. Great. Well, well I suppose they, they always, sorry, I was just going to say, they always say that uh, you can get away with, what is it? You can get away with 
bad video and good audio much better than you can get away with good video and bad audio. For some reason, people hate listening to bad audio, but they don't mind watching bad video if it's accompanied by decent audio. <laughs> I completely agree with that. Uh, although a lot of video producers don't seem to stick to that row, and it's just incredible <laughs> how much video I see out there on YouTube, which uh, is allegedly produced by professional organizations, but the audio is horrific. Indeed. <laughs> um, but, you know, so thanks so much for your time and your um, information that you've um, offered us today. Um, what is the best way for people who are listening and watching to actually reach out to you if they would like to? Uh, best place to find me is at thepodcasthost.com. That's my website uh, where all things podcasting, you can find everything I do there. Uh, or even just tweet me at uh, thepodcasthost.com. So, yeah, I would love to hear uh, from either side. Yeah, just feedback on anything I've said. So, yeah, happy to help. Sounds great. Okay, well, thank you again, Colin. Great. Thanks for having me. Great. Okay, well, um, we'll see you next time on. So, thanks for joining us and uh, bye for now. <laughs>